at least three or four times a week, my family and I watch Fail Army and do the same thing you guys just did. We cackle and, oh, and we play this game where me and my kids, me and Siler and Elena, the, the two oldest of our four kids, we'll say, we'll say of the next 10 video clips, one of them is you, and we have to pick at the beginning of the clip which one is them. And so, so it might look like this, about to jump off the diving board, and as soon as I see it, I think something terrible is going to happen. So I say, Siler, this, is, this one's you, and I get to own that one, and then it's his punishment, and we all laugh, and it's a good time. And, and uh, we, we watch it quite a bit, but as I was putting together this compilation, I put together one initial compilation that was about three and a half minutes long and made my wife and son watch it to see if it was kosher, and there were a couple video clips that we decided we were going to nix because they were kind of traumatic. There was one where a person was on an upper high dive and they fell down onto the lower high dive and then fell off of that into the pool. And, and then there was another one where something else sort of tragic happened. And, and I couldn't show all the clips in here, but uh, the point is that sometimes we, we're all part of a fail army. And, and really, if somebody follows you around, odds are at some point in your life, you could make it onto the fail army videos if people just recorded you day in, day out. And, I want to show you a video that looks like the beginning of a Fail Army clip or a, a, a picture and, and ask you some questions about it. And so when, when you see this, if you, if you just came across this picture online, what would you assume was below this person? Anybody want to throw? Water or sand? So, so, so I notice that your, your first impressions are something safe, right? And why is that? It's because it looks like he's doing this purposefully, right? And so probably not jagged rocks below is, is, is the guess. And then, and then I want to ask you, who are these people in the background? What do you, what do you think those are? Those, are those friends, parents? They're friends. And so, so, so do, do these people care about this person? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit unclear. And now let's pretend that they're caring friends. Let's, let's assume that they're caring friends or parents. Now it kind of adds to a, our our initial impression that what's below is relatively safe, doesn't it? Yeah. It's probably soft sand or water. Our minds automatically assume what? If, if, if someone was watching and these were jagged rocks below, what would they do? They would stop it from happening, right? If you knew fail army, if you knew the person was about to fall off the high dive onto the short dive, onto the pool, you'd say, whoa, 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 let's just step away for a moment, right? A good friend and a caring friend would do that. And so... Would we call these caring or compassionate people if those were rocks below? Probably not. And we're going to get into some there are rocks below moments in the Sermon on the Mount coming up where Jesus warns us that if you do this particular behavior, there are consequences. And we started to get into that last week with, with basically you shouldn't murder and murder, murder having, having anger in your heart and, and dehumanizing your neighbor leads to a, a crisis in the, in the Greek, a crisis in your life. And Jesus is a good and caring parent, so he, he warns people. He says, those are rocks below. Don't jump. And we start to get into more of this. And Months ago, I told my wife, when, when COVID hit and we had, just, we had just gotten the building remodeled and, and I had been working lots and lots of hours for lots and lots of months at that point, and I was really tired. And I said, you know, I'm going to take kind of a secret sabbatical here in the, in the coming months. I'm going to be kind of a lazy pastor. I'm just going to prepare sermons. We're not going to do any major special event. I, I, need, I need a break. And a, a normal sabbatical is a pastor just vanishes for a few months and gets his head on straight. And that's, that's not what I was talking about. So, so I tried to think of scheduling a sermon series that would be easy. And I made the tremendous mistake of jumping into the Sermon on the Mount and finding out that there's nothing that's a piece of cake 
about the Sermon on the Mount at all. I thought, I thought well, so, so part of the hardest part of determining sermons is coming up with a topic. So that part is kind of handled. So that makes it a little bit of a sabbatical. At least I know going into it what we're going to talk about. But then you start getting into the topics like over the next couple weeks or two or three weeks, we're going to talk about things like lust and adultery. And we're going to talk about divorce. And there's nothing easy talking about those topics at all. And I'm just going to be straight with you. I'm, I'm, it's uncommon for me to be nervous up here. I'm a little bit nervous today. This, this topic of lust that we're going to talk about, for some reason, stirs something up in me where I'm, I'm uncomfortable about it. And, but we're still going to talk about it. And last week, we, we tackled these passages where Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will subject to krisai, which is crisis, crisis. Anyone that is angry with their angrier brother or sister will be subject to crisis. So, so if you become angry, if you become murderous towards someone, if you dehumanize someone, it leads to bad places in your life. They're rocks below. You want to avoid these. And because he's a good and loving parent, he's, he's telling you. And this Greek word does sort of mean judgment, but it's kind of a, a constitutional judgment where you get what, what was coming. It's a karmic type judgment. And it says that these, place, these lead to bad places. And he continues with this theme of if you do this or if you think this way or if you are this way, it leads... To bad places, and this is where he goes next. He says, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I do want to point out, and it's going to become really important in the next passage about divorce, that Jesus is addressing the men here. And this this is this is this is not some patriarchal thought process in Jesus's mentality. It's just the fact that when the crowds gathered, that's what would have naturally occurred because that's what they were used to in Jewish society is that the men would come forward to be taught and the women would sit back and take care of the kids and were supposed to be educated at home. And Jesus actually, we, we have a sermon called uh, Jesus, the Original uh, Women's Rights Advocate. And, and Jesus broke down a lot of those barriers. But when he's preaching in the temple or preaching on the mount, this is what would have naturally occurred. And so he's, he's pre- speaking to the men here. So as we talk about it, that's going to kind of naturally flow out of the sermon. But understand that the idea of objectification, the idea of adultery and stuff is not confined solely to men. But it will sound like that a little bit in this sermon. But this is what he says. He says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Right off the, just a softball pitch there. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell, is how the most English versions translate it. It's actually Gehenna, which is a trash dump outside of Jerusalem. He says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell, to be th- cast into the waste dump is, is kind of how the Greeks would have read this passage. And if you're, if you're, so so it's, this, it's this idea, there's rocks below. You'd be better off doing something painful to avoid the rocks than actually experiencing the rocks is kind of what Jesus is saying here. And so I've put together just kind of a compilation of thoughts I have on the passage, and, and we're going we're gonna to end up talking about uncomfortable topics like masturbation and pornography a little bit today, which is why we issued the PG-13 warning. If you're listening to this at home, if you're listening to it at work, and you've got a broadcast in front of your coworkers, now is probably the time to uh, shut things down. But we're going to get into some of these topics today. And so when we're talking about the fail army and rocks below, Jesus is warning about the logical consequences of pursuing particular behaviors or thought patterns. You'll notice when we start to see Jesus that way, he's not the tyrant God saying, if you look at a woman, you're bad, you're evil, you're wicked. He's not saying if you're a woman who objectifies a man that you're, you're awful and, and doomed to the flames. He's saying the consequences are nasty. 
you should avoid those consequences by backing up some and confronting them here instead of letting them culminate and percolate. So I want to point out, and these are just random puddle of mud thoughts, that objectification is love, murder. The moment someone becomes an item for your personal pleasure or becomes less than human, I, I, I was thinking about this particular topic, and I wonder if there's a connection between, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, what some psychotherapists have to say on the topic, but I wonder if there's a connection between objectification and violence, and I think there is, is when you make someone less than human. I, like, I even think about race and, and the racial tension that we're experiencing and the violence that we're experiencing and Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter and the propensity that people have in, in our culture and in our life today to, to make people less than human. I wonder if there's a connection here between how we view, how a male might view a female or vice versa or, or as a, a, another person as a sexual object. When you start to identify them as a thing, or let's be straight, as a whole, as an orifice, as something to be used it starts to diminish your capacity to love. It starts to diminish your capacity to connect with people as human beings and to love well. And it's, you know, last week we used the clip where, where the girl screams at her dad, you are a murderer of love. And I think what Jesus is hinting at here is that objectification of a person murders love and love is the highest ideal. And so objectification ruins everything. The moment someone becomes an object or an item, everything is broken. He says it here, looking at a woman lustfully, as we'll see in a moment in the Greek, it basically means to look at someone in order to lust after them. It's, it's, it's an objectification. It's, it's making them an item. And he'll also point out in this passage that Christianity is an inner work first. As, as believers in Jesus, we want to live righteously or holy. And, and Jesus would say, I, I, I think this is what he's trying to get at, at least in part, is that it's not a work where you, fist, you, you, you clench your fists and try really hard to be good. It's a work where you let go and let him make you good and the actions naturally follow because he points out here that this is a heart work. In the Greek, it's cardia. It says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with, you, with her in your cardia, which is similar to the word cardiac, the heart. And the Greeks view, so we say soul or essence or something like that. The Greeks would use heart to describe what's inside a person. And so he's saying when you look at someone and make them into an object, you've, you've already practiced unfaithfulness and discontentment in everything that you are. Every, everything that you are is ruined when you start to objectivize people, when you start to see people as objects and, and something for, to be used by you. Christianity wants to do an inner work where it changes who you are in, the, in, on, in your essence, in your, in your cardia, in your heart, in your soul, and when your heart and soul are changed, it changes how you view people. It changes how you view money. It changes how you view time. It's something that happens inside and works outward, not outside working inward. He also points this out, which is, you know, it's not popular today. We want, we want to victimize everyone. We want to say no one is responsible for their own actions. And Jesus kind of bucks against that in this because he uses these Greek words that mean in order to lust after her. In other words, there's, there's an act of volition that occurs here. There's an act of a will that's occurring here. It's, it's not something out of your control. Scripture teaches that you can take your thoughts captive, that you can choose to steer the rudder of your mouth and the things that you say and the things that you could think. And so Jesus pushes against this thing that we're all victims of our DNA. He pushes against this thing that we're all victims of our neurological devices, so to speak. He's he basically says, you, you have some control over this because it's in order to, which 
conversely would say that you can, you can buck against that. You can, you can decide not to do such a thing. So the pros, prosto in, in the Greek, in order to, seems to buck against this idea that people are just out of control. It's, it, it's kind of natural in our current society to think sexually that people, people are driven. And if the, you'll, you'll hear it about this, like, like men in, in, in weddings where they're not getting enough, for example. Well, if he ain't getting it from you, he's going to get it somewhere. Jesus would buck against that a little bit and say so that doesn't necessarily have to be true. You're not an animal. You have a volition and you have a will, and you are capable of making solid decisions. You're capable of having your inner work, having an inner work done in your life. God is willing and able to do something in your life to make you volitionally strong. But we ain't the Puritans either. And this is, this is something that has to be said on these passages. Because he uses the word lust here. And this word lust in the Greek... So, so it's, it's really interesting. I was talking to a friend last weekend about this. Is When we apply lust to sex, we give it a different standard than we do lust for money or lust for power or lust for control or, or whatever lust you want to talk about. When we talk about lust for money, do we mean you should hate money? That you should guard yourself against the use of all money? You should never desire money? We don't mean anything of the sort. We mean you've come to this place where money consumes you, where money holds you and grips you, and it, it's a driving force in your life. And yet, when it comes to lust sexually, we, we, we tend to apply a more puritanical standard where we say, you shouldn't notice the girl jogging down the street, or you shouldn't notice the guy that's a cashier, or you shouldn't... if if the server's hand brushes against yours, that shouldn't stir you up. Like, we should have this puritanical thing where we become non-sexual beings. And this, is, this has really created a lot of havoc through the years. The, some of the early church fathers believed that, that sex was pro- procreation only, confined to particular sexual positions because you don't want to be creative about this thing. And it's, it's created a society where parents tell their kids if they catch them masturbating that you better stop that or you're going to grow hair on your hands or you're going to go blind or you, you better stop that because you're evil and ugly and bad. And that's, that's not what Jesus is trying to say here either. And so we have to be really careful about not taking this to the extreme of sex is bad because sex is not bad. Sex is beautiful. Your sexual function is beautiful. It's a creative gift that God has given you, single or married. And as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian culture, many times throughout history, there's been this Purit- Puritanism that has occurred that says sex is bad, that creates all kinds of problems when, se- when sexual experience actually occurs. So we have to guard against that, too. I want to point out that this is tied, and again, puddle of mud, random thoughts on, on this passage. It's tied to contentment and faithfulness. It's talking about adultery, and adultery is when uh, your faithfulness is supposed to be tied in one place, and it's offered elsewhere. And there's, there's a whole lot to be said for, you know, one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments is that you shouldn't covet. You shouldn't hunger and desire for something that isn't yours. Or, and it, it mentions specifically another man's wife or an, a, another woman's husband and so forth. And so it's tied to contentment. And so Jesus isn't saying here, you're evil, shut down all sexual desire. Don't notice the girl walking down the street. Don't notice the guy that, that serves you coffee. He's, he's not saying those things at all. He's saying, I want you to be content. I want you to thrive as a human being. And that includes in your sexuality. That includes in your sexual practice. And so, if you get nothing out of today's sermon, what I hope that lands and lands well is this idea that God is for you and not against you. That God, his, his desire to see you sexually healthy isn't because he wants to beat you up or destroy you. It's because he wants you to thrive. He wants you to be happy. 
He wants you as a human being to fulfill your purpose. And objectifying people will never, ever let you walk that road of thriving. He also gets into focusing on the triggers. Now, I'm going to confess something to you here, and I've, I've, I'm, I'm typically pretty transparent up here. And Years ago, I did a sermon in here on the topic of confession and talked about a time that I was away from my wife in a hotel room and turned on the, the, video, the, the video on demand, and I just saw the screens, and it opened up some stuff, and I, I watched pornography for several hours that night and had to go home and tell my wife about it and put some filters on my phones and on my computers and so forth. And so I've been really open that, that I'm not immune to pornography at all. I mean, it, it calls to me. I, I think if I abandoned Christ, I'd probably turn to pornography pretty quick. Um, but one of the triggers for me, and when I really get stirred up and desirous of, of watching pornography, is when my wife goes out of town. And part of that is because we're sexually active, and I'm not sexually active when she's out of town, obviously. But there's also something about being alone. There's something about being kind of lonely, and the family's gone. And then there's this safety that occurs because no one will ever know. And so that, those are the times that I'm, I'm most tempted to start indulging in, in pornography. And Jesus, in this passage, he says... If your right hand causes you to stumble, or your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. And then he says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, and I think, I think you'd have to purposefully overlook it that he's talking about your eyes and your hands in connection with lust. And I'm, I'm not an anti-masturbation guy. I, I, I feel like it's actually a healthy practice for people under certain circumstances, and that might buck against some of you, and you may, that may really rub you wrong. Let's talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. But I think, I think to say that is to put burdens on people that they were never intended to carry. However, I do think, as we'll talk about in a moment, that pornography and masturbation related and lust, lustful masturbation is, is a really unhealthy practice. And, but, but, I, but let's back up a minute. So here's what I do when my wife goes out of town. I have a select group of guys. I see Tremaine's in, in the room, and, and Tremaine is one of the guys that I'll text and say, hey, dude, my wife's out of town. I just want to commit to you that over the next six days while she's gone that I'm not going to turn on any, any movies that may have nudity in it. I'm not going to pull up any pornography, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm preempting this thing and putting it out there that I'm no longer alone, that Termaine, you're my brother and you're my friend and you're going to hold me accountable on this. And so that helps a lot. And I have uh, some uh, four other guys that we have a group thread that I'll, that I'll text and do the same with. And so, so the, 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 what I'm trying to emphasize here is that there's triggers in your life. And, and it can be any behavior. There could be all kinds of... You could be tri triggered to gossip under certain circumstances when you happen to be with this particular friend. Or, or you could be tri triggered to shoplift under certain circumstances. And, and what Jesus is saying in this passage is that you've got you to focus on those moments of triggering, the, the, the thing that preempts the activity. And when he's talking about sexual lust and, and lustful activity, he says, he says, even make it painful. It's not always easy for me to text Termaine and say, hey, man, I need you to watch out for me. And, you're, and, and, I'll, and I'll always say, you're free to ask me anything. But Jesus would say, check out the triggers ahead of time. And When it comes to this passage and talking about lust and adultery and, and your, your right eye and your right hand being a part of this equation somehow, I think it would be irresponsible of a pastor not to bring up the topic of pornography. And we're going to talk about it briefly, about why I would discourage you from, from being involved with pornography and using pornography. But uh, it, it's, as you know, I mean, if we went around this room and said, hey, when was the last time you viewed pornography? Some of you would say this morning. I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality that we live in nowadays. And, and uh, I just compi compiled a few statistics, just very briefly, that the largest pornography site sees over 
100 million visitors every day, independent visitors. So this is a third of the population of the United States. It's, 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 it's international, but this is how many people log in on a particular day to one site. Um, One-fourth of all internet searches are about sex. So it's, it's pretty wild. We've been given this encyclopedia of all knowledge called Google. I mean, you can, you can, you can know anything, anything throughout history, and 25% of it is used to look into sex. And I have all kinds of thoughts on why this is that we won't get into today, but, but suffice it to say that this is rampant. Sunday is actually the most popular day of the week to view internet pornography, which I thought was peculiar, interesting, and feels tragic. And then I also want to point out that the statistics show that one in three women watch pornography once a week. So this is not a, this, even though Jesus in his particular sermon was speaking to men uh, because of the culture he lived in, that this is not a, a, a male isolated or male dominated thing that we're talking about here, but, but women are indulging as well. And so I want to spend just a few minutes on why I discourage the use of pornography. And I want I wanted to, I wanted to state this particular, in very particular words, because I'm not saying if you hunger to look at pornography or if pornography intrigues you or if, if you're curious or you indulge, I'm not saying that God is a heavy-handed person pointing his finger at you saying you're hell-bound and awful. I'm saying there's rocks below. This, this, this particular topic will, will ultimately consume you and ruin you if you're not careful. And so the place to look at it is to back up and say, let's, let's look at this objectively and say, is this healthy for me? Is it, is it good for me? Is, is, the, is the fruit of pornography in line with the Holy Spirit of God? And again, just random puddle of mud thoughts on it. I saw, I'm calling this one the wife quote. I saw an, an ex-adult film actress one time sharing her story, her, her testimony. And one of the quotes that stood out to me in the middle of it was, she said, my job was to make you hate your wife. And that always rung, rang true to me, is that that's what, that's what this industry is about, is to give you something that you can't get anywhere else because that's where the money comes in, right? And so if... If that's the case, then this is going to damage, it's going to damage people when, when they, you start to get, as we'll get into, unrealistic expe expectations. But she said, my job was to make you hate your wife, and that always stuck with me. And it feeds an industry, and it's an industry that's not healthy. This, this ex-adult film actor, Randy Spears, says this. He said, I had to go to work so I could do the porn so that I could buy the drugs to bury the pain from doing the porn. And it become this, he said, and the cycle would begin and again and again. And he, he, he did his first if I remember his story correctly, he did his first adult film or video experience kind of because he was at the end of his rope. He had like a couple hot dog buns at his house and they offered him $400 to come and shoot this scene. And he came and did it and he, he felt awful afterwards, but then started using, using substances to try to mask the pain from, from him doing this. And, and then he, because he needed the substances, then he started needing more money. And because he needed more money, he started doing more films. And because he needed more films, he started doing more drugs and it became this vicious circle in his life. And you're feeding an industry of prostitution. You're feeding an industry of human trafficking, for sure, uh, as, as we'll see going on. And Fight the New Drug, fightthenewdrug.org is a, is a website you can go to to learn about how to get away from sex addiction and, and pornography addiction. But they say this. They say that we see from countless survivor stories, and so they have all this anecdotal evidence that they, you can link to and you can read people's stories. It says that... Pornography is nothing more than recorded evidence that trafficking took place. This is, this is trafficking 
on video that occurs all the time. And even, even the most, there are a lot of adult actresses and actors that are dedicated to their field and say this is a great thing and, and that I'm, I'm proud to be an actor or an actress. But they will also confess that there's many times they arrive on the set and they're asked to do things that they're uncomfortable doing but because they're acting upon, under compulsion and because they're acting under sometimes threat of being sued. So, so this production company has put $40,000 into this, this video shoot, for example, and the actor shows up and is asked to do something that they didn't sign up for. Then the producer comes and says, hey, we've got $40,000 stuck in this thing. You're going to shoot this scene, and if you don't shoot this scene, we're going to sue you for everything you're worth, so they shoot the scene. This is just another type of human trafficking. And this is the kind of industry that gets fed every time you log on and you think, you think it's innocent, but ultimately you're paying advertising, you're supporting the industry, you're pushing this thing forward. Again, this is not saying you're bad, you're evil, it's saying there's rocks below. Let's, let's think, let's, let's, stop, let's stop on this side of it and say what is, what is causing us to, to fall, what is causing us to hit the rocks below, and let's, let's talk about it. It teaches unrealistic expectation. In, in pornography, men never have sexual dysfunction. Women never have their period. They're always hot to, hot to trot and ready to go. They're, they're always willing to do things that, that a lot of women wouldn't be comfortable doing. They're comfortable with bodily fluids that a lot of, a lot of men or women are not comfortable with. It, 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 as, as my acquaintance Josh McDowell said, he said, pornography creates an almost paralyzingly unrealistic view of sex. My heart hurts a little bit when I think about teenagers today that, that the first education they're having when it comes to sex and sexual contact is pornography because it's going gonna, it's gonna to teach them something completely unrealistic. It's going to teach them that sex is this when sex is not this. Sex is something completely different, but this is their expectation, and so sex is now ruined. That's, the, that's one of the hardest parts about this whole thing is that, in my opinion, pornography ruins sex. It teaches poor technique, which we're getting into. The great sage and philosopher Conway Twitty once said, of a woman, I want a man with a slow hand, I want a lover with an easy touch, and pornography does not teach that. Pornography teaches put something in every orifice you can as fast as possible, as aggressively as possible, and people will scream in pleasure. And there's, there's no concept of let's take this slow, which is what I give premarital counseling to every single time, is take it slow. There was, a, there was this interesting TV moment where Shia LaBeouf was on the Ellen DeGeneres show and somehow the topic of his sex and sexuality showed up, and this is what he said of himself. He said, I'm a cuddly, 50s, Rockwell, missionary, boring sex guy. And the females in the crowd went wild. I mean, they were cheering and clapping and hooting and hollering because they were used to guys at this point that have watched pornography, and they're shaping how their sexual technique based on what they've seen in pornography, and that's not what they wanted. They wanted cuddly he said, he said multiple times, I'm a cuddler. And boy, they hooped and hollered for that. Pornography doesn't teach cuddling. It doesn't teach emotional connection. It doesn't teach breathing together. It doesn't teach a lot of things that, that make for a good sex life. In fact, it teaches exact opposite in a lot of ways. Someone in this very room once told me about their sexual experiences before becoming a Christian. And they said this about the girls they'd been with. They said, it's like they were putting on a show. And this is what happens when pornography shapes your sexual experience is that you feel like you have to add up to these actors and actresses that are being paid great amounts to pretend they're enjoying things that they may or may not be enjoying. It ruins technique. It also fetishizes sex. And so a lot of times what will happen 
is the things that you view, the things that you log in for, the things that you search for, they become your passions and your, your fantasies, and they, they may be things that are kind of unrealistically fulfilled. Pornography is... Well, let's, let's use this quote. In Psychology Today, it says, Pornography encourages men to seek out dangerous or socially unacceptable sexual acts. Much of pornography is violent, aggressive, choking, hair-pulling, forcing. And if that's, if that's what you log in to be satisfied with, that's what you're going to look for. And it creates this unhealthy sexuality in you. It also feeds dysfunction. Psychology Today also says pornography leads to sexual problems such as erectile dysfunction and low libido. It's a very, very common thing. There's, there's this website called nofap.com where these are, these are not Christians. These are not people with any uh, religious reason to, to talk about pornography or to, to diminish pornography. But it's, a, it's an organization dedicated to ending sex addiction and pornography addiction. And they said this, members of the community have reported that engaging in pornography has caused or worsened these physical and psychological symptoms. And erectile dysfunction, the, the, the idea that you, you, you don't want to be with a real person anymore. Uh, there's, there's videos out now for a, a website dedicated to ending pornography where the actor, who I believe is an NBA all-star, talks about how he used to watch pornography while engaging in sexual relations with a woman because that's the only way he could get excited anymore. And as we'll talk about in a moment, your brain was never meant to be wired with such powerful bursts. It, it kind of carves ruts and tracks in your brain that don't need to be there. Marianne Layden, who's the co-director of Sexual Trauma and Psychopathology. So listen to that, Sexual Trauma and Psychopathology. She says, most concerning thing to psychological health that I know of existing today, referring to pornography. Again, when you objectivize people, everything goes downhill. You are about to land on the rocks below. And pornography objectivizes people. It's also crack for your brain. Behavioral Sciences says this, it says, studies examining subjects who viewed internet pornography reveal brain region activation similar to craving and drug cue reactions for alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. It is, it is the new drug, fightthenewdrug.org. It's a new drug. It stimulates your brain and reduce, releases endorphins that could not be naturally spent. And, and what happens is, just like any other addiction, the first time you view it, you could view what they would call minor porn or an X-rated movie, for example, and your, your blood boils, your blood flows, your, your brain bursts, you get that endorphin raise, but the next time it's going to take double X. The next time it's going to take triple X, and it's going to take something novel and new every single time, just like any other drug. You're going to need more and more and more, and you're going to be falling on the rocks below. And Jesus would want you to avoid falling on the rocks. And ultimately, it separates people. I read this week that intimate relationships demand an investment of time and energy, and pornography does not require any of that. Pornography, they get right down to it. There's no emotional connection. There's no time spent. There's no slow hand. It's let's do this thing. Let's make it happen. And ultimately, that just kind of destroys your capacity of being a human being. It destroys your capacity to, to show grace to people, to love to people, because you've been now indoctrinated to get what you want from them the moment you want it. That's not a healthy way to be a human being. And I think Jesus would say, let's back up. Let's look at the thing that, that is ruining us and let's gouge it out. Randy Spears, the actor I quoted earlier, said, I lost the ability to have a loving and caring relationship. 
So Jesus here is looking out for calamity. He's not looking to find the bad guys versus the good guys. He's trying to avoid suffering. He's trying to make us as human as we can possibly be to help us to thrive. It's interesting. It says if your right eye causes you to scandalize eye is the, is the uh, Greek word. What, do you, what word do you think in English comes from that? Yeah, he says if your right eye is causing a scandal, pluck it out. And a scandal is something hidden. A scandal is something that, if it came to light, would be bad. And so it's kind of practiced in dark places. If your right hand, eye or your right hand causes you to practice in dark places, you're better cutting those things off. You're better plucking them out. I do want to point out that I think this is an observation, not a condemnation. When he says anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, so much of Scripture changes when you start to view that some, some of the things that are said are observations, not condemnations. See, if you come from a particular view of God... When Jesus says this, you hear him saying, if you've done this, you're terrible. And I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying here. It's the rocks below. He's making, he's, he's making an observation. He's saying, when this occurs, here's what's happened in your heart. And when your heart is corrupt and when ugly things happen in your heart, it ends poorly. Let's, let's, let's avoid that. And it's also the question, is he, looking, is he establishing a lookout or a law? Is this a rule intended for you to obey in order to be good? Or is this a lookout? He's, he's looking over the situation and saying, hey, I can see things that you can't see. I can help you in ways that you can't help yourself. And I believe it's the, it's the former. I believe that's his heart behind it. So what do you do if some of this describes you and where you're at as a human being? And, and statistics say there's many people that will listen to this sermon and many people in the room right now that this, this ought to hit home with you. And the first is this metanoia, which is who can tell me what metanoia means in the Greek? Anyone? I've mentioned it so many times in here. I'm failing as a pastor. What is it? Turning away. Turning away. Well, it's turning. It's not even necessarily turning away. It means in the, in, in the English we hear repent. I used to wear a black sleeveless shirt and go to the gym, obviously, and, and with a white text, big bold print that said repent on it. And back then what I meant was you're bad, stop being bad. Repent doesn't necessarily mean that. It's, it's a turning towards something which naturally includes turning away from something. And so my, my take on this is if, if you want to be sexually healthy, there's something that has to occur in your turning, in your orientation, in what you face. And you face God, and you see his majesty, and you see his goodness, and you see his love, and, and you embrace that. And as you embrace that, it becomes impossible to objectify. And when I say impossible, I don't mean the struggle's end. I'm saying that he is the solution to this. It's this turning towards him, this repentance which is a turning towards, which naturally means turning away. And so I want to encourage you, start there. Say, God, I turn to you in this. I hand you my sexuality. I hand you my desire. I hand you my fantasy. I hand, me, hand you my lust. Here it is. It's all in this big platter, and I know it's an ugly platter. I know it's messed up and, and nasty, but here it is. It's yours. I need you. I want you. And that's where it starts. And then I want you to encourage you to dig really deep in your life, because if, if sexual lust or fantasy or or pornography is an issue that's kind of starting to consume you or already consuming you or taking away from the, the thriving of life, there's a root to that that probably isn't necessarily sexual. This, this person that I watched his video this week named David Webster, he says there's many roots and reasons why people turn to pornography. Mine was actually anger-driven. And then he talked about feeling bad about yourself. You look for something else that's going to make you feel better as quickly as possible. And so you repeat the cycle again. He says, I never understood that God would be personal. That changed everything. I had the slide ready before the service. 
So I want to encourage you that this is a fight you've got to fight, but this is not how you fight it. You don't fight it by bucking up and being strong and saying, I will not look, I will not look, I will not look, I will not look. You're going you're gonna to fail. And even in doing so, there's this kind of idolatry thing that happens because you think that your, your will and your strength is going to win this battle, and it's not. It, it comes to opening up that hand and saying, you can. This is something we've been saying about the Sermon on the Mount, is that you can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. So it's not, I can, I will, I will be strong. I will, view thing, I, I will only view healthy things. I will not view bad things. It's not that at all. It's, it says, I'm his. Come in. Holy Spirit, come do what you want to do in me. And when you do that, that's, 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 that's what he does. That's, that's, that's the business the Holy Spirit is in, is coming in and changing that cardia, changing that heart from the inside out. And that's the beginning steps. And, and there's lots of other steps after that, but that's, that's the start is opening up those hands to God and saying, here I am, come get me, and he'll do it.